Hello, I'm Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a video series brought to you by DRG, part of Clarivate. This series examines the, the healthcare ecosystem and its current business challenges and opportunities. In each episode, I'll be talking to uh, key leaders and um, thought leaders in the, in the industry and about how they anticipate uh, some of the, uh, the challenges that they face and, and how they're navigating them. Currently, our series is focusing on the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, the numerous challenges that it has actually unleashed on, on the industry. In line with this, I'm delighted to be uh, joined by my colleague, uh, Dana George. Dana is an Associate uh, Director of DRG with extensive expertise forecasting drug markets for a wide range of oncology indications, including breast cancer, non-Hodgkin's and Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, and she's joining me today to uh, talk about the impact that COVID-19 is having on the already available CAR T cell therapies, uh, Kimria and Yaskata, as well as the ongoing development of other CAR T cell therapies. Dana, I, I hope you, you're well and, and those you care about are, are, are doing well too. Um, thank you for, for, for joining me. Thank you, Mike, and uh, welcome everyone to, to this conversation. So, so Dana, what are the, um, the impacts that COVID-19 is actually having on, on these current uh, uh, cell therapies? So obviously it's still a fluid situation. Things continue to change on a daily basis. Um, but um, it's certainly this pan worldwide pandemic is, is having a hum huge effect on, uh, on treatments that are available. So Kim Raya and Yaskata being the two of them that are commercially available. Um, and it's becoming more obvious that patient select selection prior to therapy is of paramount importance. Um, so deciding the treatment with the CAR T cells, physicians have to consider alternative therapies uh, during pandemics and choose whether they want their patients to receive the CAR T cells or go to an alternative uh, scenario where they could potentially give them other therapies until the situation improves and then uh, make the choice to go the, the CAR T cell route. So, so how are your know, patients being treated at the moment uh, mm. with these CAR T cells? And um, you know, what, what are the, the actual challenges associated with COVID around um, that, those treatment regimens? So we've seen, um, since it all started, we've seen changes in guidelines, updates of, of guidelines uh, across the world. Um, and physicians are being advised to um, consider very carefully the, the risk of the patients, the, the disease burden. Um, so these two things are the major deciding factors uh, when um, physicians have to, um, to decide whether to go for the CAR T cells or not. So if a patient could potentially receive other therapies apart from, from CAR T cells, um, guidelines encourage physicians to go this route. If, however, uh, the disease burden of the, of the patient doesn't allow them and they're basically um, 
prime candidates for, for the CAR T cells, um, and it's in a way their last resort, then that's, that's the way to, um, to do it. Um, patients have to be super carefully um, screened for, for risk, so for um, risks associated with, uh, with their disease. Um, they need to be tested. So uh, the guidelines indicate that patients have to first self-isolate for at least 14 days prior to receiving the CAR T cells, um, then be tested multiple times before the, the treatment starts to make sure that they're not infected um, and then receive the, the therapy. So all these steps were not in place before uh, the pandemic started. So the careful steps that need to, 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 to ensure um, that patients are, are selected properly. Um, obviously, other considerations need to, uh, to be accounted for. So uh, we know that the, the side effects of, of CAR T cells are not the easiest ones. So um, in some cases, ICU beds are required for, um, for the patients receiving the CAR T cells. And as we know, the availability of ICU beds is uh, becoming an issue, um, has been an issue for a while now during the pandemic. Staff availability in intensive care units is also um, quite a big problem. So all of these things need to be um, taken care of before the, the treatment started. Um, there are the um, potential impacts, so uh, not just the, the availability of the staff, but the, the way the patients are being monitored. Um, CAR T cell therapies, uh, the, the treatment themselves, uh, require very, very careful monitoring of, of patients for side effects. Uh, neurological uh, side effects are particularly important. Um, so the availability of specialized, highly trained uh, nurses and physicians to, to take care of such patients uh, is important. Um, in some situations, um, these, these members of staff may have been redirected to, uh, to work on the, on the pandemic. So their availability might be limited. Um, the hospital's uh, willingness to, uh, to carry out the, um, the treatment also needs to be accounted for. So some, some hospitals uh, may not be open for uh, CAR T cell therapies or uh, even stem cell transplants because of the high risks associated with, uh, with such procedures. Um, many, many things that could go wrong, you know, they need to be, they need to be accounted for drug shortages. So, um, for example, um, supportive therapies that are required um, as part of the treatment. Um, these all need to be uh, made sure that they're there and patients have access to them. So, and, and I mean, the supply chain is, is clearly mm. an issue. <clears throat> and these, and these products, these, these cell therapies are, um, it's a not trivial exercise to manufacture them. So have we mm. sort of 
seen any sort of you know, disruption to that process or you know, how, how are the companies ensuring that they can you know, provide continuity of supply? Well, so far, there's limited information as to how the companies are coping with this. But um, from what um, they have made available, um, it seems that they are trying to maintain the supply chain going. Um, so they found, uh, obviously, there are um, air travel restrictions in place. And if sales, for example, need to be um, sent to a remote location to be processed and then sent back for the patient to receive them, that could be an issue. Uh, but we know companies um, such as Novartis um, have said to, to their investors and to their patients that they found alternative routes for these uh, sales to, um, to reach the labs or reach the patients. So while the information is, is, is relatively scarce, we, we, we know that um, companies are doing their best to, um, to maintain the, the flow going. So you mentioned how um, these sort of clinicians are having to sort of, you know, make a judgment on you know, whether or not they keep the patients um, on the sort of CAR T cell therapy uh, track or not. Do we, do we have a sort of a sense of, you know, what proportion of patients would actually be in that, you know, super high risk um, uh, group? Um, well, we know that the, the, the two therapies available, uh, Yaskart and Kimria, are available for uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma patients uh, and also for ALL. So ALL uh, tends to be a, a disease associated with young people, uh, while NHL is associated with the elderly population. One would assume that the elderly population would be at risk of, uh, of becoming infected with COVID-19 and be more affected by the, by the infection. So... I think when it comes to uh, to the patient choice um, and whether they they go for the treatment or not, the age of the patients will will be a, a, definitely a deciding factor. Yeah. If their disease burden is also quite heavy and they've run out of options, um, then the risk is then carefully as, uh, assessed again. And if uh, physicians uh, decide that they can, uh, they can withstand the, the toxicity of the treatment and the potential risks associated with it, then they may go ahead and do it. But um, I think the patient selection, as I said before, um, it was important before, but now it's, it's absolutely crucial to, yeah. to be done in a careful way. So also, I mean, these are... Sort of very, very relatively new products have only just recently been approved. And there's you know, quite a lot of activity still in the sort of the clinical trial space. So, so uh, whereas if you're treating patients, you know, one can sort of see that there is a, you know, it's important to, to keep going. What, as, what sort of disruption are we seeing on, in the clinical trial arena? So we, uh, there are lots of clinical trials ongoing or were um, 
before the, the pandemic started, um, involving not necessarily new CAR T cells, but also the ones that are already approved and are seeking label expansions in other indications or other disease settings. The, the development of such therapies is huge at the moment because of the hype surrounding the, their efficacy. And um, obviously this has been massively impacted. Um, so we are seeing clinical trials um, delayed or suspended uh, because of uh, patient recruitment issues. So companies, uh, for example, uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb, uh, in April, they decided that no new clinical trial um, sites for CAR T cells for cell therapy um, treatments should be initiated in light of the of the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. And um, this remains in place. So there was another company announcement um, second week of May, indicating that uh, that decision remains in place. However, uh, in a letter to, uh, to clinical trial investigators, BMS uh, indicated that um, where a hold was in place for clinical trials, it could potentially restart, but only if uh, a whole list of conditions uh, was to be, um, um, to be met. Um, so these conditions were not only country-specific or region-specific, such as relaxation of, uh, of lockdowns, um, but also um, it was a, a very comprehensive list. Um, so patient selection, uh, meeting certain criteria, um, availability of, uh, of ICU beds. Um, so it's, it's an ongoing process. Companies are aware of what's happening they're really careful when it comes to designing uh, their clinical trials um, for ongoing trials so uh, trials that have been uh, recruiting patients up to now um, some have seen um, holds and then restarts um, depending probably on the local situation on how the patients um, reacted to, um, you know, to, to the conditions uh, made available for them. Um, it's the impact, say, um, it's, it's going to delay a lot of these studies. So the, the pandemic is definitely going to, uh, to have an impact. We're seeing primary readouts of clinical trials being extended by um, up to two years in certain situations. Uh, this could be because patient recruitment was stopped, so they won't be able to accrue enough patients to, um, to gather enough data. Monitoring of the patients may not be available or not as tight as it should be to, to meet regulatory uh, requirements. This will then have a down, downward effect when it comes to the companies filing for approval or for line expansions or label expansions of the, of the drugs. Um, obviously, data accrual and how it's done and um, 
all the conditions that need to be met from a regulatory perspective may be impacted. So it's still a bit unknown how this will play out in, say, five years' time or even shorter than that. But we're definitely seeing an effect on immediate effect on the on how clinical trials are being organized now. Right. And of course, that's you know, knowing what we now know. Um, you know, one of the challenges is that <clears throat> when the lockdowns are uh, re- relieved, um, that there could be you know, a second wave of coronavirus mm-hmm. or this could in fact be sort of seasonal. So have you got an idea or a sense of what companies are doing or what they they need to do to cope with that potential uh, known unknown? Well, it's it's difficult to say, but I think one of the, the most crucial things will be testing and increasing the testing rates of uh, patients um, either going into clinical trials or going for treatment with um, with cell therapies, knowing uh, whether they're positive or negative. So, multiple, I think multiple testing will will definitely have to be to be done prior to any therapy. Um, patients will have to be carefully selected, um, their comorbidities assessed in great detail. Um, to understand the potential risks um, and yeah availability of staff so I don't know whether hospitals will have uh, this this possibility but potentially hiring more staff to deal with um, a second burst of the of infections whilst treatments are ongoing um, that could be um, that could be a temporary solution or permanent. Um, obviously, the availability of, uh, of PPE, this should also be taken into account. Um, lots of things um, that could be done um, in terms of, uh, of patient selection. But for now, I think it's, it's really important to, to understand um, what the the effect on the organism this virus has, the more we know, then the more we we're likely to to respond in a better way. So all of this information will have to be made available to all treating physicians, um, be it uh, ones that are specialized in CAR T cells or stem cell transplants, so they understand what to expect when to expect it and how to deal with it in, a, in the best possible way. Right. So, I mean, CAR T cell therapies, uh, I mean, it's, it's a sort of <clears throat> a new um, way to, to treat patients and it has you know, created a lot of excitement uh, in the industry. We've seen a lot of effort. Do you sort of think that the sort of the, the, sort of the issues, the complications, the sort of the barriers that, that COVID is throwing up, might actually sort of dampen the enthusiasm that others might have for jumping into the sort of cardio cell space or for you know, clinicians to sort of also engage um, with, with, with cardio cell therapies? I, I don't personally, I don't think so. Um, they, they have shown tremendous 
benefits for for certain patients we are seeing um really really good efficacy especially in the uh, in the heavily pretreated patient populations um, there is hope that they will start working in solid tumors as well so not just uh, in heme malignancies so there's definite definite promise of of these therapies and i think this will tip the balance in favor of them physicians have been getting used to um, <clears throat> to side effects or associated uh, toxicities of therapies for years if we're thinking of chemotherapies or other therapies. So something like COVID coming along and um, you know, increasing the risk of side effects or increasing the risk of, of uh, patients um, getting more complications during treatment. I think physicians will not be put off by that. I think it's the promise of the therapies that will keep them going. So, and, and what would you sort of say would therefore the key lessons that we've learned um, through this sort of this, this COVID experience around CAR T cell therapies? Mm. I think the most important one, and I've seen uh, most companies developing CAR T cells have done it, is tread carefully. Uh, put a clinical hold in place when you don't know what the situation is like or it's likely um, to, to, to happen. Um, look for signs of uh, improvements or um, anything that could impact that therapy. Tread carefully. So um, monitor patients uh, more closely. Uh, make sure that all side effects are recorded and um, verified. Um, understand what the risks are and manage them in, in a careful way. Also, when we're thinking of, um, you know, air um, limitations, like transporting the cells and so on. So find alternative routes that won't disrupt the, the supply chain. Um, avoid any contamination of cell products. Uh, test, test, test. Uh, obviously, if you have tests available. Um, so make sure that everything that you do is, is done in a considerate way, um, in line with what the care, uh, healthcare systems are, are telling you to do. Finally, um, you know those those observations that you, you just shared. How many of them do you think are just sort of temporary, just to get over this particular issue? And how many of them do you think actually might be sort of permanent shifts in behaviour in a post-pandemic world? Mm. Well, first of all, we don't know whether this this virus will ever go away. So some of these uh, things that we're, we're seeing happening now may continue for the foreseeable future. Um, so I think physicians will not readily go back to their, um, their ways of, of doing things once, uh, let's say, the first peak passes because we know a second one may follow it. So um, I think... 
I think some of, if not most of these uh, impacts will be seen for a, for a very long time. It's just right. a way of how we're gonna um, manage them and how we'll, we'll learn to, to deal with them. That's, that's the, the issue. But obviously it will be down to um, local um, healthcare units or um, country specific regulations being put in place. Donna, thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, the insights that you've uh, shared, uh, I'm, I'm sure that they'll be of great interest to, 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 to the audience. If after listening to the, uh, this broadcast, you've got any questions for either me or for, for, for Donna, um, <clears throat> please feel free to give us your feedback. Uh, you can sort of click on the link and, and, and send us your questions. Uh, that would be great. And also, if you would actually like to be informed of your know, future episodes, uh, again, you can go to the LinkedIn page where we will be communicating uh, the release of uh, future episodes. So, uh, again, uh, I'd like to I'd like to thank Donna for for, for joining us. Um, I'd also, on behalf of uh, myself and uh, Clarivate and, and DRG, also say a big thank you to all all of you who are involved in actually tackling uh, this pandemic and, and, and bringing care and help to patients. The work you do is absolutely important. So uh, Dana, thanks once again for, 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 for joining me and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.